You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. And so we're going to start off today, I've been in this idea of David for the last several weeks. I didn't realize even how long I would be in David, but I felt like to kind of end where we've been and to start something new, I'm going to preach through the all-time classic story, which I think preaches well to kids, especially violent kids like yours. And so we're going to talk about David and Goliath. Who in here has heard of David and Goliath, right? Pretty much everybody, you can be an atheist, you still know the story. And so the background of the storyline is that Israel is facing enemy after enemy after enemy in the Scripture. There would be a little time of rest, but very quickly after, there would be a time of unrest. There would be a little time of settled, but then very quickly after, there would be a larger time of unsettled. There would be a time where they turned to the Lord, and when everything went well, they'd say, well, I guess I don't need God anymore. Does that sound familiar? Can we relate to that storyline in our own lives? That's exactly what's going on 1,100 years as the story picks up before Christ. And so as the story picks up today, they're facing a pirate nation. And in this pirate uh, nation, their enemy is the east coast of Palestine known as the what? Do you know? I thought you knew the story. The Philistines, right, the Philistines. And so as they're facing this, the plot thickens because a giant enemy stands in the gap of their own freedom, and his name is what? Kids, are you awake? I'm trying to engage you in this moment. What is the enemy's name in the storyline? His name is Goliath, and he is small or big? He's larger than big. He is literally a giant. He's bigger than actually Andre the Giant. And he makes this decision. He says, we don't need to fight everyone together. Can't we just simplify this process? I'm a gazillion feet tall. I weigh about a thousand pounds, whatever it was. I'm exaggerating. How about you just fight me? And so Israel, no doubt, would have known who Goliath was. He would have known the devastation that he wreaked havoc on people all around them and now them. And they kind of, sometimes in life, your reputation, reputation precedes you, does it not? And so they know who this Goliath is. And so day after day, the Bible says that no one steps on the scene to fight. It's this ultimate showdown as we pick up our, the scripture today between a huge giant and a little runt of the litter named what? David. David was good looking, but that's about it. David was a lover, not a fighter, according to how he looks, but it turns out he was actually a massive scrapper. And so here's what happens. King Saul is the king of the day. King Saul looks the part. He's tall, dark, and handsome. King Saul is a massive chicken. And as soon as he gets in a situation that's past his own leadership competency, he runs for the hills. And look at what happens in Scripture in 1 Samuel. The Bible says this about Saul. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. And so Goliath says, give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed, and let's say this together, they were what? Greatly afraid. King of Israel, look the part. Tall guy, big in stature. Everyone wanted him to be king because they thought, why not him? He looks like a king. And then as soon as he gets past his own competency, he's scared. And the Bible doesn't just say he was fearful. Because here's what I found in my own life. 
I found that sometimes fear can be a healthy motivator. Sometimes healthy fear can stop me from doing really stupid things. The Bible says that Saul was greatly afraid, and so here's how I would distinguish those two concepts. Afraid can actually be healthy a little bit. Greatly afraid is paralyzed, is it not? Greatly afraid is panic attack, breathe in a paper bag, crawl in a corner, I don't know what to do with my life, you just take care of this. And so Saul has this identity issue. Saul's identity is in self. Saul's identity is is in as long as I look the part, as long as I know how to get through the struggle, as long as I have the answer sheet to the test, then I can be who God has called me to be. But as soon as, check this out, as soon as I have to take it to the next level and actually trust God to do the miracle and lead past my own personal competencies, that's where I'm going to fold because my identity isn't in God himself. My identity is in I can do all things through me who strengthens me. Have you ever been there? That's Saul's identity. And so now the runt of the litter, David, steps onto the scene, and his identity has nothing to do with his own personal capacity. In verse 37, the Bible says this. And David said, so we're just kind of skipping through the storyline. You see Saul, the weak leader. David, the 15-year-old kid, write that down because that's important. And David said, 15-year-old David, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion... And from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Here's what Saul is saying. Well, hey, let me pack your snack pack for you. I thought I could do this job, but apparently your resume includes a lion and a bear. And my resume just kind of looks like I'm incredibly good looking. All right, so some of us can relate to Saul, can't we? That's a joke, right? I can't really relate to Saul, but I'm taller than David. And so David packs his lunch. David goes to the battlefield. David says, I'm going to step up on the scene and take care of business because my identity is in the Lord God Almighty. And so in this storyline, there's this poor moral math that's going on. There's this equation that doesn't quite add up, and it's the same equation that sits in our own path. And the equation looks like this. The equation was never little men of Israel against an awesome giant. In God's economy, that was never the script that was meant to be followed. In God's economy, it was poor little giant trying to fight an almighty God because it was never even going to be close. In fact, in Scripture, at the beginning of this storyline, you see God promise, I'm going to deliver the enemy from your hand. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make you a nation. I am going to make you a people, and nothing is going to stand in your path. And so Saul forgets his identity, forgets the Lord. David draws right back to it and says, I've taken out a lion, not because I'm that tough. I've taken out a bear against all odds. I think I can take, away, take out this hairy Philistine who mocks my God. This was poor moral math. And I want you to see how the story unfolds. We're going to go from verse 43 And you're going to see some ancient trash talk, and I want you to take notice because I find trash talk to be funny and amusing. And you see it first with the Philistine and then with David, and we're going to dissect even the trash talk this morning in the little time I have with you. The Bible says this. Here's the trash talk, back and forth. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. You guys know the story, right? David just comes with this little slingshot. 
Goliath's been murdering people for a living for years. And he says, I'm going to take you out with this thing. And so Goliath is just ticked. Like, how dare you even try to approach me, a trained assassin, with such ignorance? And then David says, so now it's David's turn, because trash talk works both ways. You each get a time to talk trash. And so David says this to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. This was just standard operating procedure of the day. But I come to you in the Lord, name of the Lord of hosts. This is my identity. It's not in me. I'm going to hide behind God and let him get the victory. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And check out what he says next. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down. Kids, listen up. This is great stuff, okay? I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give you the dead bodies of the house of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Here's what's interesting to me. Are there any basketball lovers in the crowd? In fact, if you started coming to New Life and you hate basketball, man, you're going to hate it here, okay? So uh, I, in my own delusions of grandeur, I'm a great basketball player. I've been doing something in quarantine because there's a lack of things to do. I've been watching 30 for 30s. And I've been watching the Jordan series. Anybody? I know I brought it up before. Ten part. Have you guys noticed something about guys from the 80s and 90s, what they're really good at? Better than today, no question. They are fundamentally better at trash talking. Jordan was a massive trash talker. And before Jordan ever got to talk trash when he was still just a rookie, there was, you know, one of the least athletic, most talented basketball players of all time. Who's his name? Do you guys know? Thank you. You know, all right? I said not athletic, and you knew it right away. And so I was watching this back and forth between Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, and there's actually a special 30 for 30 with the Lakers versus the Celtics, which is actually the first David versus Goliath bloodbath. And when I was watching this, they were interviewing people talking about Larry Bird and how he was so unassuming and you never thought that he could do much. And so here's what made Larry Bird so great. This is just a special nugget for you that I don't have in my notes anywhere, okay? I thought of it the first service, and I thought, man, the second service has to hear this. Here's what's so great about Larry Bird. He was so cocky that he would tell people what he was going to do before he did it. And so he would go to his opponent, even though he looked unassuming, once he built a reputation for being great, and he would say, I'm not faster than you, I'm not as athletic as you, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spin right, I'm going to curl left, I'm going to take a step back, and I'm going to drain it in your face, and you're going to cry like a baby. He would literally trash talk what he was going to do. So here's the connection point. Everyone focus in, especially kids. You need to learn how to trash talk like your parents, okay? The connection point is David says, without any power of his own, I'm going to shoot you with my little stone that I'm going to pick up from this creek, and then I'm going to take your own sword, which is very significant in my book. We'll talk about that in a second, too. And then I am going to chop your head off, and there's nothing you can do about it because my guide is great and you are nothing. He was the Larry Bird of his era. It seemed impossible, and he gave away his strategy, but it didn't matter because God was in control. I don't even know where I'm at in the storyline anymore. Go to the next slide. <laughs> and that all this assembly may know, it's still trash talking, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the what? The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. God's going to do a work. And then he says this. 
When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it, and he struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. I don't know exactly the velocity it takes for a stone to sink into your forehead, but it just sounds incredibly painful, does it not? And so the next scene, the trash talk comes to fruition. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. There's swords everywhere. There had to have been. It was a battlefield. And then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its heath, of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, what did they do? They run. They look exactly like Saul. David trash talks and he backs it up. And I just want to kind of close out our time together in the next period of time with some application points that apply for you if you're 2 or 90. In fact, if you're a teenager, this message is specifically for you because David was 15. And if you write down things on your phone or maybe you brought the notes in that we gave you in kids' ministry, just write these things down. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, then ask your parents because they should be able to explain it to you. Number one is this. God loves taking down giants with their own sword. He takes them out with a stone, knocks them out cold, but he's not dead yet. Or if he is dead, he's going to be really dead. And he goes up to this giant, and just imagine this picture and this valley of all of these warriors who knew nothing but violence their entire adult lives, if not childhood lives. There are swords everywhere, are there not? It's a battlefield. David does something symbolically significant. He says, I know I can have any of my allies' swords, I know I could probably have any of anyone's swords because everyone's so scared by what they just saw. They're shocked. The best heavyweight fighter of all time has just fallen. And so he takes something that's so significant. He takes the giant sword and he uses it to chop off the head of the giant. God loves taking down giants with their own sword. It's a metaphor for this reality that I've seen in my own life. That sometimes in life, When we get down, and you can just put this in your own context, when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and maybe for you that's a bad diagnosis. Maybe for you that's a child rebelling, or maybe that's a marriage that's struggling, or maybe that's some uh, suffering, or I know for a lot of us because of the culture of new life, that's addiction. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so one of the things that I've talked about a lot in this church, it's one of the kind of the prized possessions of the culture of this church, because culture is everything in leadership, is that we have this culture of recovery. And so whether you go here or you go downtown or you go to Rock Creek or you go to Peru, there's a system in place to help people that are fundamentally addicted with their hurts, habits, and hangups. And what you see happen is you see the enemy all over that. You see the enemy's sword drawn to attack people where they're at in their life. 
And what's so cool about the gospel is that it doesn't change some things, it changes everything. And what you see happen is that thing that the enemy was using to steal, kill, and destroy, people get saved and people get transformed by the gospel. Stay with this metaphor, and if you're a kid, have your parent explain it to you later if it's complicated for you. What's so cool about the gospel is that the enemy takes this sword out, God saves that person's heart, and those things that were destroying their life and owning their soul, he turns around and flips the sword and the script, and he uses it against the enemy, right? People that have been abusing substances for two, three, four, five years, lost marriages, don't have rights to kids, living in a halfway house, not able to hold a job, all of a sudden they get sober. And it's not just a fad like so many times before, but now Christ has transformed their heart. We've seen it in this church. And now that sword that was meant to steal, kill, and destroy, now all of a sudden they're going to celebrate recovery and they're mentoring someone once they've been sober for a while, they're mentoring someone else whose life is a train wreck, and they're taking that sword that was meant for so much destruction, and they're seeing the power of their testimony change other people's lives for the gospel. They're flipping the script. Satan is taking that sword out to cut off David's head, and now the script's being flipped where that very thing that was meant to destroy is actually being used to save. I'm telling you right now, if you're listening online, if you're listening in Rock Creek to this or right here in this sanctuary, that one point is worth your admission price. Hear me say it one more time. God loves taking down giants with their own sword. That's just what he does. That's what makes the gospel so great. Jesus goes to a cross. A cross was an instrument of death. It was a violent and gruesome sickening death. Romans wouldn't even be crucified because it wasn't worthy of something. You couldn't crucify someone who was actually a citizen by such a sick and perverse death. Jesus goes to that cross and that instrument that was used for destruction, for taking down giants, is flipped the script and Jesus uses it as an instrument to bring life. That's in the economy of God how he operates. The second thing I want you to hear is this. Courage, this is for kids. Any kids in the crowd? Any teenagers? I got one sitting somewhere. I see someone in the back. Courage without faith lacks power. A little nugget of wisdom for you. I know that you've been told that you can do all things. Look at me. I know that you've been told you can do all things through you who strengthens you. But that is the biggest lie that's gonna fall flat on his face as soon as you have a little life experience than you've ever heard. Without Christ, you're Saul. And here's the kicker, you're Saul at your best because Saul was talented and we're not all talented. There's another wake up call. We all have something but we don't all look like Saul. And if Saul capped out at a seven or eight in his cap capabilities and he finally met a Goliath that could chop off his head, rest assured, without our faith rooted in the gospel, we will come to a crossroad in life where we will have belief in self that's gonna fall flat on his face because the gospel was never intended to be a gospel of self-worship. It was about a gospel of surrender. And so courage without faith lacks incredible power. David fundamentally gets this, you guys. He understands the power source, and because he understands the power source, that's why he can pick up this $5 sling that I found in my farm and throw a, something at a guy's head and then chop his head off. It wasn't because he was great. It was because he was called. 
David got it. And the third thing I want you to hear is also just for teenagers. It's very simple. In fact, you've heard it if you're old. And if, you, if you've heard it, then you own it, and you own it because you're old. Okay, so this is for young people, though. Who in here would decide, describe themselves as a bit old? Not, not old, but a bit old. Older, more mature, wisdom. Very good-looking old. You know, a beauty in the gray, right? Okay. Last thing I want you to write down is this, and you've all heard it. Age is just a number. That's why this story is so cool, isn't it? We've heard it from the flip side, like, I probably should be calming down on some of my City League sporting events, and I haven't because age is just a number, although my knees are saying otherwise. You've heard this if you're a little too old and still a little immature, but I want you to hear it from a reverse angle. If you are young and you are living in a culture that is facing things that, check this out, guys, if, if you're a teenager in this room, you are facing things and will face things that all of us have never seen. Your world that you are inheriting is tough. And God's not calling you before you have an impact on the world around you to have a ripe old age where you could sit back and throw some wisdom on the next generation. Your time, look at me teenagers, your time is now. David is 15 years old. When I was 15 years old, I was simply trying to find enough money to buy some type of beater car so I can impress girls and save enough money to drive that car and have a pair of Jordans. That was it. It was the 90s for me. I would work all day long to accomplish those two things. David at 15 is taking on the biggest giant that the world has ever seen and staring in the face of evil and saying, not my God. This is where I draw a line in the sand. If you're going to defame my God, there is going to be heck to pay on your life. Right? Age is just simply a number. You can't even understand this storyline unless you lived in the culture. And I'm going to try because someone explained it to me this week. I'm going to try to just give you this thing as we close where you understand the realities of what David was facing. But I don't think unless you're there you could fully understand. Because David didn't live in just a violent time. David lived in a significantly violent time. In primitive warfare, it was nasty. The reason that we can't quite understand the battle that David was face is because it was something in ancient warfare that you would have to see. It was something in ancient warfare that you would have to hear. And hear me say this one because this is the most gruesome. It's something that you couldn't understand unless you were there to smell it. It wasn't done from a distance like today. Ancient warfare was face-to-face. Killing was at arm's length. And when you looked at your enemy in the eye before they breathed their last breath, as they breathed it, you knew what they had for breakfast. Are you tracking with me? It was up close and personal. The odds of even walking away from ancient warfare when you engaged in a battle were not very good. And if you did survive, you sometimes wished you wouldn't because even when you survived, infections would take your life. In fact, if you look at what's going on culturally, a lot of men would jump into battle and they'd do so with very little clothes on, not because they were goofballs, but because if the puncture wound allowed for clothes to enter, they would die from infection. This was an incredibly different time 
in a physical sense. And the reason they're trash-talking about the birds of the air and the beasts in the fields taking their flesh is because when you would die in battle, literally the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields would come in and just separate you limb from limb. It was absolutely disgusting. And so you didn't even have to be an adult to experience this type of trauma. David's 15. He already knows what he's getting into because it's been all around him since the time that he was born. Goliath was well known, and so he was so tall. This is what made Goliath, according to this guy that I listened to this week, this is what made Goliath so devastating. Goliath was a giant, and so there was this first line of defense on the battlefield with shields where people would create a wall or a shield around them. Goliath would come over the wall with a spear, and he would just take people out. Hundreds, thousands of kills to his name. Saul knew who this guy was, and he was shaking in fear. But the storyline of Scripture is that age is just a number. And that maturity is not an age. Maturity is a mindset. And at 15 years old, at 15 years old, David looks in the eye of this villainous creature. And he says, I'm going to live by faith. And I'm going to trust God with the outcome." So I want you to hear this as we close. Maybe you're online with us. Maybe you're sitting in Rock Creek right now with Pastor Chuck. And this is a word for you. That God is going to use you and he's not going to wait. That God needs to absolutely raise up the next generation because the sword that we're facing isn't a physical sword. The sword that's being used on the generation right under me and even myself is a sword of shame where it says, I'm going to stab you with these false truths and I'm going to indoctrinate you with a bunch of lies and I'm going to show you that your God is not who you think he is. And so although you don't have to pick up a physical sword, you have to put on the armor of God and you have to know the word of God because everywhere around you, teenagers, hear me say this, everywhere around you you're being lied to, are you not? If it wasn't for the church, which is so fundamentally important in this time period, if not more than any other time period in the last 150 years, the church is a vital role where you're hearing the gospel and your parents, if they love Jesus, are showing you the gospel and getting you into the word of God because every screenshot around you, every piece of social media, every Instagram, every TikTok, everything with Facebook, although I've heard Facebook isn't even popular anymore with you, everything around you is lying to you and the gospel stands firm and unchanged. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his, the Holy Spirit and the Trinity of God changing your life, giving you boldness to fight off the enemies of this world is the only thing that's going to prevail in the midst of all the deception that you're living in. Age is just a number. Christ is ruling and reigning. And he's not shocked by all the craziness going on around us. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Savior comes to transform and bring new life and speak truth into darkness. Do you know Jesus? He bled out on a cross, and then he rose from death and conquered it so that you can live. And it's not a cute Bible story. It is the means of salvation for your life. In him, without him, you have no hope. If you don't know Christ as Savior, then I would urge you to turn to him and trust in him today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, some of us, we've been sitting on soft sand. And as soon as we face the enemies of life, as soon as things rise past our own leadership competencies, as soon as fear strikes, we buckle. We look way more like Saul than like David. But others of us, Lord, we're hearing the gospel this morning of Christ crucified, even through the story of the Old Testament. And we're saying to ourselves, man, the only thing that saves is you, Jesus. And I would just ask in this moment for those in Rock Creek or online or in this sanctuary in this unique season of ministry, that anyone that has not surrendered their life to the Savior and said, Jesus, you are the King. I'm a sinner in need of saving. I believe you died in my place. I believe that I'm on a track to destruction called hell. But you rose from the dead, and I turn to you for my salvation and my hope. I pray that anyone that hasn't said that in these spaces this morning would cry out to you in their heart and experience the freedom that only you can bring. Jesus, have your way. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.